Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our spotlight on the positive segment. And here's some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their communities. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Go get them, guys. Hello, folks, and thank you for tuning in to Thursday Night Tailgate, where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari here with you. And, folks, since you may not have time to listen to the full two-hour episodes each week, we've cut the show into individual guest segments for you, so you can pick out and listen to your favorite ones. To stay up to date with what our guest schedule looks like, go online to our website at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and enjoy this segment of the show. Now joining me is former wide receiver Greg Camarillo. Let me remind you about Greg's background. He's from Redwood City, California, played his college ball at Stanford, where he earned academic All-Pac-10 honors three times and his degree in product design engineering. He played in the NFL from 2005 to 2012 with the Chargers, Dolphins, Vikings, and Saints. Over the course of his NFL career, he had 146 receptions for just over 1,700 yards, and he scored five touchdowns. And I'm very honored to have him back with me tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Greg, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, pleasure uh, pleasure to be here with you. I appreciate you. Uh, Greg, I, I want to spend most of our time tonight talking about life after the game of football with Vincent Jackson's recent passing. And I know you posted on Twitter and pinned to your profile about how players struggle, you know, with their, when their careers are over. And, and if I... Kind of look back at, at your time in that game, Greg. I mean, seven years in the NFL, four more at Stanford. I'm guessing four years in high school and probably several years prior to that when you were a kid. So the majority of your life has been spent in and around the game of football. When it's over, that has to leave a giant void in your life. Was it tough for you to walk away? Yeah, absolutely. And it is, um, wasn't so much me walking away as, as it was the door of opportunities closing. And I think that is more commonplace than people retiring. Like we saw Philip Rivers retire this year where he just decided that he was done. It's most of the time the NFL deciding they are done with you. And so not only are you, you know, closing a chapter on, on your profession, you're closing a chapter on your identity. You know, you have been, most football players start pre-high school, have been a football player, have uh, almost everything in and around their life revolved around being a football player and suddenly that's gone and that is um, a tough thing a tough thing to cope with most retirements in life are gradual or you know when they're coming uh, and they also are not retirements from something that uh, is kind of put on a pedestal like being a professional athlete and so um, you know you go 100 miles per hour to being this great profession and suddenly you hit the brakes and all of that is gone and it, it's a difficult transition. 
There's a couple of things there, Greg, that uh, I want to expound on. And, and we've talked to several of your NFL alumni peers about how from the moment you start playing organized football, I mean, everything is regimented and laid out for you. Your schedule, you know, from the time you wake up through, you know, morning workouts and school and practice and dinner and film study, it's sort of rinse, lather and repeat for that every day. And when it comes to an abrupt end, and to your point, most of the time, it's not on the player's terms. I mean, you, you get cut, the phone never rings again. And and then suddenly you realize, well, I guess I'm I'm retired. From there, it's really got to be a difficult time to then try to go on with, you know, the rest of your life when it's over. Did you feel lost? Did you feel a sense of loss, you know, being that what had defined your life for, for the majority of the time at that point is now just over? Yeah. Um, yes, there were kind of two parts of it that, that were particularly challenging for me. Um, and one is, you know, you, I retired at 30 years old. And you are coming off a high of um, reaching these incredible life achievements. So, you know, you're playing in a stadium of 80,000 people. Millions of people are watching you. Uh, you're achieving your childhood dreams. You know, for me, you know, President Barack Obama said my name on national TV. It's like these amazing things are happening to you. And then you retire from that and you're, and you're starting over. So, you you know, it's, it's you know, what am I going to do next? Whatever it is, you don't jump immediately into a into a high level situation. And it'll take years to get to anything that's sort of high level. But the hardest part for me was sitting in bed at night at 30 years old, thinking that some of the most exciting moments, if not the most exciting moments, um, exhilarating moments in my life had already passed. What am I going to do to replicate that feeling? Will I ever feel that way again? Uh, and that's a, that's a difficult thing to cope with. Uh, and then the other part of it, like you mentioned, was you, you live a regimented life. You wake up every day when you play football with a goal and the passion and drive to pursue that goal. So you have the hope of going to a Super Bowl. You have the goal of making a team or getting your team into the playoffs. And you wake up passionate about doing that. You go to the weight room, bust your, bust your rear because you want to achieve this goal. And then suddenly you lose that schedule. You lose that. Uh, that goal, that hope, and a lot of times you lose passion when it comes to that. And so not only do you have all day to sit there, you don't have something to put your energy into often. And that, and then, you know, that was a similar case for me. I didn't have that, that same drive, that same passion, that same motivation. Uh, plus I had all day to sit there and think about it. And Greg, to your point, I mean, I've, I've read stories about you know, astronauts going through stuff like this one. And what I mean by that is, you know, they've been to outer space. Some have been to the moon. And when it's over, they, they, they have a hard time with the rest of their life trying to figure out, well, what am I ever going to do that's going to top this? And still having, yeah. you know, obviously, a, a long life still to lead. And that's sort of what I hear you say is, you know, boy, I get this adrenaline rush of being out here on the field and performing and having someone like the president speak my name. And now I'm only 30 years old. I've got a long time left to live. But what am I ever going to do to replace that rush? Yeah, it is, and it it, it it comes from from multiple sources. So the internal drive of passion of pursuing your goal, pursuing your dream, and working hard for it that that was awesome. You know, the drive of of you know working out till you throw up, and knowing I just gave everything I had to achieve this goal. Uh, that doesn't happen in real life. Like I don't I don't spend, you know write ten great emails and suddenly say, oh man, I, I that was a rush. I really killed it today. That was awesome. Um, and, but also it is just the, uh, 
in the external factors, and, and, I, and I'm sure a psychologist would get a hold of this statement, but the self-esteem boost from, you know, being at the top level of a sport, of competing, winning, feeling good about that competition, or competing, losing, and having something to work on to come back and compete again, but having that competition as a measuring board of, of, of your success. And then uh, external, you talk to people and they love to talk about football. Oh, great, great, great game last week. Or, you know, what's next season going to be like? That, that doesn't happen with my current career. I'm an academic counselor and I say I'm an academic counselor and then that kind of ends the conversation. Um, and so, the, you know, so much of my identity, my self-esteem was tied into being around a football player. Uh, and I've, you know, I, can, I found it again, but it took me a while. And that was part of the transition. So, Greg, to that end about self-confidence and self-worth, because and you mentioned this a little bit ago, but when it's over, it's essentially telling you, you know, someone telling you, you know, you're too old, you're, you're, you're not good enough anymore. You know, you can't make the team anymore, what have you. And that's sort of a send off in a really negative sort of way. How do you get over that and, and not let that become another blow to your self-confidence and your self-esteem on top of career being over? Yeah. Uh, and and as, as an academic counselor in college ranks, I try to prepare my student athletes for this. And I think it's about um, two things. One, being as well-rounded as possible. So developing yourself outside of football. Um, you know, I was I was a walk-on at, uh, at Stanford and I majored in engineering. So I had internships in engineering and always I still to this day would call myself an engineer, even though I've never really had a career in engineering. Uh, so that helps me develop identities outside of football. So that way, when football is done, not all of me is gone. You know, that, that oh, maybe I'll go pursue a career in engineering because that's part of who I am. and That's part of what I do well. Um, so trying to get football players and athletes of all kinds to develop outside of being just that football player, because that's what's going to help you. I uh, became a father two months after my, my final game in the NFL. And, you know, I got to pour my energy into being a father. I went to graduate school because I knew that I could put my energy into graduate school. So, um, you know, finding avenues for you to identify, finding avenues for you to put your energy into, they'll never replace football, but at least you can, you know, put part of your energy and passion into something new. Speaking of avenues, I mean, does does the league help provide new avenues for for you guys once you retire, or are they there to help with that transition, or are you guys sort of left yeah. on your own to figure it out? This is this is a source of debate, depending on who you talk to. Personally, I feel the NFLPA. You know, they, they, we have to differentiate between the NFL, the business, and NFLPA, the players' association. The Players Association looks out for us and provides us with so much, and that's with money from the NFL. So I can't, you know, say the NFL doesn't care about us because the the union demanded money for programs like this. But I went to graduate school because the NFLPA paid for it. I went and saw uh, all different kind of doctors, brain doctors, orthopedists, mental health counselors, because the NFLPA paid for it. Uh, there are, I go to former player conferences where I can connect, reconnect with a player community because I, I am most comfortable in and around football players because that's who I am. That's what I did. The NFLPA does an amazing job of providing resources. The hard part, and this is where I think a lot of the debate is, is getting guys to use it. There's a stigma that 
football players and men in general don't need to ask for help. Suck it up, deal with it, fight through it, which is part of football culture. Uh, and it's breaking down that stigma. If we can get guys to admit that, you know what, I'm struggling right now. I need a little help. And the help is there. We just got to get guys to, to be comfortable using it. I mentioned a little bit ago a tweet that you put out there recently. And you wrote that bearing your problems and pain works when you're in the game, but in life it, it doesn't work. Is that stigma really? Do you run into that stigma of you guys got to be the tough guys? You got to suck it up. You got to be mentally strong. Don't. Don't worry about the pain, all that sort of stuff. Does that persist when the game's over? Absolutely, 100%. Uh, I mean, I can only speak for my life, but I've seen it in other guys as well. But for me, personally, you know, and it, in, in sports, like, it, it works fine. You, with a football team of 53 guys in the NFL, if you're having a little problem, that can't become a team problem. You, you know, deal with it. Give everything you've got to the team. It's the we, not the me. And that works for a team sport. That works very well because the team needs your very best at every moment. So, you know, if, you're, if your calf is hurting, you know, suck it up, get out there. If you've got a little problem at home, suck it up, get out there, play sports. That doesn't work in real life. And I'm not saying don't be tough. If you've got a little problem, if you've got a hangnail, don't, you know, you don't need to cry about it. You're tough enough. You'll be okay. But what we're seeing post-career guys with substance abuse problems, guys with depression, other mental health problems, relationship problems, those aren't things where you just suck it up, power through, ignore it, and deal with it. That's when guys need to feel comfortable asking for help. Um, you know, and, and I've dealt with that where I thought I could, I had an anxiety issue, thought I could deal with it. It only made it worse. And then I got help and felt better. And it's, it's, it's just that simple where we got to get guys comfortable with seeking help and having it be fine. And um, that'll, that'll propel us forward to having former players in a smoother transition um, getting help. And speaking of guys seeking help and Greg, every week we do a, a segment on the show, our spotlight on the positive where we highlight two players that are out there doing great things in their communities. And, and we've done a few stories about Vincent Jackson and, all the work that he's done off the field for military veterans and people in the San Diego and, and Tampa communities. Did it surprise you? Maybe this is a depression thing, but did it surprise you when you heard about his death and perhaps alcohol being a, a cause or a factor? Yeah, absolutely surprised me. Um, and, and I had, you know, I was very close with Vincent when we were teammates. We were, you know, camp roommates. Spent um, a lot of time together. That was 05, 06 in the beginning of 07. Uh, and then, you know, as, our careers ended. I hadn't talked to him in a couple of years, but you know, I look at him as a situation that was very parallel to myself. You know, we came in as rookies together. He's 38 years old, was 38 years old. Uh, the father to four kids. I have three married and you know, if it can happen to him, someone that an intelligent guy, a nice guy, somebody that gives back to the community, uh, a well-liked guy, you know, what's to say that couldn't happen to anyone else. And so, uh, you know, I, I, you know, see him as a dad and not, and now he's not able to be there for his kids. And that's what really, um, made it hard for me as someone that was, this, you know, the same age in the same situation, you know, and close to a guy like that is, uh, you know, if, if it can happen to Vince, it can happen to anyone. Um, and that's a tough thing to deal with. And Greg, we've talked to so many guys that have different problems when their careers are over. Some, I have a difficult time sleeping because they can't lay on their sides because their shoulders or their 
hips hurt so much. I remember Eric Dickerson telling us how he had to sleep in a lazy boy, uh, lazy boy recliner because his shoulders hurt so badly. Our great friend Jeff yeah. Arad, I think he's on his like 17th surgery now on his oh. joints because he's had so much, you know, so many issues and stuff like that. And, and then, of course, there are the guys with CTE and the memory problems. Talk about the day-to-day struggles that you've had or that you've heard about or know about from other players. If you, you don't have to certainly mention any names, but guys that are going on struggles just to kind of deal with day-to-day life because of the pain that the game has left them in. Yeah, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seen guys struggle with purpose, um, not really knowing you know, what is their purpose? You know, what is their role? Why are they, what is their motivation every day? Uh, and then I've also seen guys struggle with substance abuse. And, and you know, I'm not going to blame that on football, but in the NFL, we, or at least I'll speak for myself, I took painkillers because it was going to help. And it was a, without doubt, like I've got pain, give me a pill, give me a shot so I can feel better. Um, and it helps you get on the field. And that doesn't, you know, that mentality of, you know, you give me the drug so I can feel better, that can very easily lead to problems down the road, um, especially when it's not monitored by a doctor. You retire and you continue with those painkillers or you continue with the, with taking a substance so you can feel better, and that is going to lead to a, to a deep, dark hole. Um, so I've seen a lot of guys struggle with purpose, and I've seen a lot of guys struggle with, with a, a substance abuse as well. Did you have a plan, Greg, for what you wanted to do after football? I mean, you talk about the things that the NFLPA helped you do, go back to school, get your advanced degree and, and, and that sort of thing. But was that sort of something you, you all of a sudden had to figure out? Or did you start to make a plan later on, to, you know, in your later 20s or what have you, yeah. so that you, you know, knew your direction? Yeah, I mean, I I had made a plan early. I was I was a walk on in college. I was undrafted coming out. Uh, I was a tryout guy. I I didn't expect to play football. So I had always been thinking, you know, what is what is my next step? My you know my first experience was training camp. I thought I'd be in the NFL for three days, and then it was no sorry mini camp, and then training camp. I thought I'd be in the NFL for like three months, and then it all just kind of worked out. So I was always exploring career options and what would be next. There was uh, you know, one off, off season, I did a, a a broadcasting camp put on by the NFL. Another off season, I did informational interviews where I, I connected with some college athletic directors to see. I thought I might want to go that route. So I was always exploring. So that that exploration helped me because I had slightly figured out the path I wanted to go. Um, it didn't help with the identity. It didn't help with the the passion, but it helped with the fact that I wasn't clueless. I had a general idea of where I wanted to go. Uh, and then, you know, uh, a lot of response to my tweets was about why are you guys complaining? You make a, a boatload of money. Life is fine. Um, you know, as, as though that won't solve depression or uh, substance abuse problems, it does provide a lot of help and it gives you time. You don't have to jump into a job right away because hopefully you save some money. Um, or maybe you can spend a year being a dad or going to school because you don't have to make money right away. Um, so that I was better off in my transition than others because I had set up a foundation for myself, um, which I wish more guys would do. Now, you, I mean, you talk about what you're doing now as an academic counselor and that sort of thing. Has it filled the void? Have, have you kind of moved on from the retirement? Oh, my God. All of a sudden now I got nothing to do. And you found a purpose and that has filled that void. 
or do you still find the the void of camaraderie, competition, being at that level, being in front of you know eighty thousand fans on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening that still sort of beckons you a little? Yeah, so you you can never fill that void. There's nothing that will, in one piece, fill the void of of what your life was like as an NFL player. But you have to try to find components in different parts of your life that will that will give you that fulfillment and, and uh i try to get those from all different aspects so uh i love being in and around athletes so i i work in a college athletic department um i really enjoyed in the nfl getting a chance to perform not performing 100 percent because i don't think you would ever play a perfect game getting a chance to review it improve and get do it again so i got in uh i do broadcasting i, I have a show every Sunday night on NBC in San Diego. Um, and I do that. I get the fulfillment from that. I get to feel nervous, perform. It doesn't go perfectly, but then next week I get a chance to improve and do better. So I get that from there. Uh, and then competition. I, I play in an old man soccer league in my neighborhood because I enjoy the feeling of, of athletic competition. Um, and so I try to pick, you know, different parts of my life that will help fill that void because there's no one thing that you could just plug that hole with and, and be fine. Greg, um, just a couple more before I let you go. Is is there something that you wish the league would do? Is, is there something that they're not doing today that you think that they need to step up and do and provide so that uh, more guys don't go down the path of what we saw, unfortunately, Vincent Jackson go through? Yeah, uh, I I would like to see them um, do a better job of keeping former players uh, connected to the, the NFL community. And I know that's a very difficult task. And if I had the answer, I would be uh, employed by the NFLPA. But I think a huge component is when guys are done, they often separate from the game because there's a feeling, at least for me, it was I could still be out there. That should be me. It's hard for me to watch this football because uh, I still think I have it to be out there. But finding a way to keep guys engaged with the community of the NFL, to keep guys engaged with other NFL players, um, I think would be huge because then you're keeping a component of that identity. It's not suddenly I'm in the NFL and suddenly I'm 100% out. But maybe I'm still identify as a football player because I'm doing community service for the NFL or I'm doing a, uh, you know, a, 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 a TV project for the NFL. The more ways we can find to keep guys, uh, connected with that identity in that community, I think will help the transition. Greg, I want to switch gears a little bit um, just to get a couple of thoughts from you before I let you go around uh, your former team, the Miami Dolphins. As we look ahead to yeah. next season, you know, here's a, here's a team that uh, just missed out on the playoffs, 10 and six look like they're a team on the rise. Your thoughts on the Dolphins is everything that uh that they that they are going to go up against next year or their expectations that all rest on the play of Tua. What are your thoughts on Miami? Oh man, it is finally an exciting time to be a Dolphins fan. The poor Dolphins fans have, have <laughs> struggled for so long. Uh, I love I love what Brian Flores is doing down there. And, and it first showed up two years, two seasons ago when they were in at the tank for Tua mode. And I mean, they were bad. They had a bad roster. They were getting blown out and then got better during the season. When they were losing talent, they got better, which told me, one, Brian Flores is good at coaching, but two, he's even better at getting guys motivated and on board, which is the most important thing for a head coach. 
so the fact that they improved when they were getting rid of talent, that was one. And then this year to watch them play motivated football. Uh, and also without the full talent, they have a, they got rid of a lot of people who have a massive amount of draft picks this year coming up. But to play uh, almost playoff-level football with a rookie quarterback without a lot of receiving weapons was impressive. And so I am excited to see what they do. And they've had a great plan to rebuild. They have two first-rounders, two second-rounders. Excited to see you know how they use that. I hope they get some weapons from Tua. But I do 100% agree that their future – uh, is based on how Tua plays. And if he develops, he showed enough as a rookie to be good, but he has to develop uh, as a quarterback, and the team will go um, with him. If he improves, they'll improve. And I hope they get him weapons so he can take a huge step in improvement. Greg, I want to go back to a game during your NFL career, take you back to 2007, a year when the Dolphins were not so good, 0-13. But you guys, you're playing the Ravens. It's at home. You catch a 64-yard touchdown in overtime to win the game and, and get the Dolphins off the schneid. What was that like for you? That was uh, – it was amazing. It was uh, my first touchdown in the pros, my first one since high school. I never scored in college. It was my fourth career catch. I went from you know being a, a roster bubble special teams guy to suddenly becoming a receiver. And so it was um, – a lot of fun for me personally, a lot of fun for a team because we struggled so much to finally have something to celebrate for a community. The Dolphin fans that stuck around in that year, you know, they were faithful fans. So we finally had something to celebrate. And then it, it was a you know catalyst for my career. And it was uh, just a, a very memorable, fun, exciting moment to get to celebrate with teammates. And Greg, before I let you go, remind our listeners, you mentioned your show on Sunday night. Let them know how they can listen to your show and stay up to date with all the great things you're doing now, whether they're doing it online or it's on social media. Yeah, well, uh, most most everything I will I will advertise on on Twitter. So find me on um, Twitter at Touch Camarillo. Um, just paired with a, a couple guys, a former teammate Marcus McNeil and a radio guy Matt Straby to create a podcast. It's called Two Pros and a Joe. So that's also on Twitter, but I'll also tweet it out all the time. So. Um, find me at Catch Camarillo and listen to Two Pros and a Joe. Well, Greg, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to come back and be a part of this show. We certainly hope you'll come back and join us again soon. You're fantastic, my friend. Awesome. Appreciate the time, Chris. Take care, Greg. All the best to you and your family. All right, buddy. Have a good one. See you, Greg. That's the great Greg Camarillo. And, uh, folks, it just doesn't get any more honest than that. Right, listening to Greg talk about what life is like after uh, playing in the NFL when uh, your whole identity and self-confidence and self-worth is tied up in the game of football. And then suddenly one day you find yourself retired, not because you got to have the great press conference and, and have your tearful goodbye, but because you're cut and then the phone never rings again. And that certainly leaves a huge void in these guys' lives. And uh, it's a tough adjustment for them to go on from there. So it's great to get Greg's perspective on that. And then uh, on uh, the death of Vincent Jackson and uh, guys trying to mask the pain, uh, whether that's mental or from all of the surgeries and uh, pain that they are going through physically when the game is over. So my thanks to Greg for uh, taking time and coming back and being part of the show. Hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up with him again real soon. 